morning, Doug. Good morning, JR. Good to see you. Another Monday morning here. Here it is. Beautiful Monday. So you and I have a code language, <laughs> pastoral code language. There's an acronym that we use called EGR. So when we talk about somebody and we say they are an EGR, yes. what does that mean? Unpack that a little bit, that code word, the secret uh, code. Secret code, yeah. <laughs> so uh, maybe it, yeah, it means extra grace required. <laughs> and so some of you are thinking you're the two worst pastors in the world, which could be true. <laughs> it could be true. Um, but they are people that uh, if you give them a minute, they'll, they'll want 30 and they might be people that text you all the time or call you all the time or send email after email. Sometimes it's just negative or sometimes it's needy. And these so, are emotionally needy people. Yes. That's, that's, that's <laughs> not good. always hungry. R- right. But needy. Right. Cause there's a huge difference, right? If it's huge someone difference. who's super hungry, wants to grow. Yeah. That's not an EGR. And sometimes it could be, yeah. Um, I'm just thinking, you know, obviously we don't want to say names of people. And if you're thinking, is it me? Like, no, it's not you. Of De- course not. Definitely not. It's someone else we're thinking about. Yes. But, but EGRs, um, that oftentimes they, <laughs> I don't know if this is a little bit too direct or crass, they're almost like leeches of your energy and your time mm. and even your joy, yes. right? They're joy stealers is another way of calling these, you know, some of these people. But uh they're the people that when you see them coming, you go, oh no, oh no, right? <laughs> I don't think any, any pastors ever felt that, but if they have. Uh, I mean, the truth is, as pastors, we're probably EGRs to other people too. I, so you know, let's, that's let's actually be humble. Pretty good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we recognize but, that when we show up, some people are like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Here comes my EGR. So, but when, when, when you have an EGR mm. and you're with them or you see them approaching you across the room, and you're sort of stealing yourself, you're bracing yourself for this. How do you handle that? What are some healthy and maybe even unhealthy ways you've handled EGRs? That's a great question. Uh, the healthy way, when someone comes to me who I recognize is, needs a little extra grace in a healthy way, I, I, I see them as people who Jesus desperately loves, um, who he is fully connected to, who he's present to. And I see my life as being responsible to them and not for them. Yeah, that's great. And so I also see myself as one of many people that should be and could be helping that person. Talk about that a little bit more, because I think the temptation is like, I'm the one that has to give them the grace, all the grace they need. Yes, through Jesus, but... Explain yeah, more so, what you well, mean by that. I, I That's think really good. So much of that comes for me from the from apest language. Uh, you know, we have apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. You know, the the whole the whole nine shepherds, the whole nine yards. And and I think what is so important is realizing that you know, if I'm a high apostolic leader, I'm probably not going to be the best to shepherd someone, mm. but I need to have those shepherds around that I can pull in. And I th- so that's part of it, but. I think the biggest part is just realizing I I have a tendency to recognize I think some of my own shadows, my own stuff is I have a tendency to think that I I can help someone deeply in this season, but I have to point them to Jesus. And part of that is by muddying the water with other folks who are willing to be with this person. And then the weight and burden doesn't all fall on me, but it falls on a team of me. And I feel like that's a really important space for me to get my head around continually. Um I, well, this was a new this was a new thing. I, I've noticed one of the places where I notice my my EGR radar going off really heavy 
is when my when my watch or my I have a watch that's connected to my phone, which is probably a bad thing. Um, but when my phone buzzes and I see I see like someone calling or someone texting, um, and sometimes it's it's not even an EGR person, but noticing just that it like makes me jump. It means that I'm depleted, or it means that I've probably spent way too much time in the space of giving and not enough of receiving. And are you saying like when you see it, it doesn't matter who they are or are you saying this specific person and you go, oh, it's yes. them again? Sometimes it's both. Yeah. Sometimes okay. it's, oh, it's them again. And sometimes it's, oh, oh my gosh. I, um, I'll almost put the other issues that I've been dealing with onto them. Like uh, I, have a, I had a friend of mine text me earlier this week and say, hey, I'd love to get together and talk. And my, you know, I mean that those are like, yeah. I don't know for anybody devastating else. Those words are the devastating for words for a pastor because it's like, what does this? So I actually are they leaving our church. Yeah, they hate exactly. us. Are we getting sued? What did we do? Because yes. the truth is, people aren't lining up to sit down to thank their pastor for how amazing their pastor is. Right. Right. Even so. on Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what was really cool is in that moment, I, I had enough enough trust with that person to email, to text back and say, is everything okay? They're like, oh yeah, everything's fine. I, I'm just, I just want to have a conversation about, you know, da, 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 da. I'm like, great. So even with that part of me felt sheepish in some ways, but the other part of me was like, no, it's, it's okay to just even ask, like, what's this in regards to? I Doug, that's so true. I've had to learn that the hard way and it's taken me a long time of sometimes I'll go into those conversations like, I don't know which direction this is going to go. This could be, you know, and I kind of, I can lose sleep over it sometimes if I go in like, what is this about? And so there are times where I've just learned to text back or to email back. I think we get together. Do you mind me asking the topic or the nature of it? Yes. Like in other words, are you okay? Is this an emergency? Or no, it's good. Is it just they want to sit down and talk? Yes. Which we could waste Waste is the wrong word. We could spend a lot of time in pointless coffees. Right. Right. And sometimes people just need people to listen to them. That's good. But we have to be careful, especially with EGRs, where they say, someone's showing me attention. I don't get much attention. And they can just leech our time. Mm. Right. And so how do we find that balance? Man, it's super hard. Right. And other times they say, well, I want to grow in my faith or I'm feeling stuck here or I'm, you know. I'm wondering if this is a shift vocationally for me. So then it not only helps me know, okay, it's not a crazy emergency. Correct. Um, but also it helps me say, oh, if they're thinking about a transition, what are some passages or yes. what are some resources? Maybe I can bring a book along that's been helpful for people trying to discern God's purposes for their future. So I've learned just like you, like that little extra, do you mind me asking what the nature of this is? Not out of fear or defensiveness, but it just... Yeah, it can help diffuse some of the confusion or ambiguity going into that. Absolutely, so. and I and I think too, it also it almost in some ways it's it helps set up boundaries. Yes, because yes. It, it just says, you know, if it's like, oh, I'd like to talk about my car issue. You know, I have a mechanical problem. <laughs> I can be like, well, I'm not a mechanic. Yeah. So yeah. you know, thank you, but yeah, uh, that's not. I don't think I'll be the most helpful person there. Yeah. What are some other boundaries? To protect your own sanity and health when it comes to EGRs. Uh, I turn off my phone at 10. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I, I've noticed that in some ways that maybe that's maybe that's not wise because I, I may miss certain things that might be really heavy. But um, it's also been one of those things I've noticed that a lot of a lot of times when people are really, really need more tender, loving care and are, yeah, in that space of being an EGR, 
that I, like I'm useless past that time. Mm-hmm. And so some of that is just realizing for me, it's like, I don't pick up my phone past 10. That's um, good. And if you they, know your own limits and if they really need to get a hold of me, they'll get a hold of mayor. Yeah. And, and that's then good. that's one of those things where it's like, okay. Or if it's, you know, and so I, th- I think I let some of my close friends and I let the, the, the pastor that I work with right now, he, he, he's able to, to kind of help me work through some of that stuff too. Uh, another boundary is, um, and this is more my own personal stuff, but if I know I have a Tuesday filled with EGRs, then my Wednesday is filled with hungry people. Um, Excellent. Or, or if I look on my calendar or my schedule from the last few weeks, I'm like, man, why am I so tired? I, I will almost bet the farm on it's because I spent a lot of time with hurting people and not a lot of time with hungry people. And so even just having that boundary and balance and permission to say, you know, like this has been great, but I actually just need to sit and have a conversation with one of my, one of our elders. We just need to dream about like what God's up to, or yeah. I need to, I need to hear stories of affirmation. Um, another boundary is a lot of times, as soon as church is done, uh, I will make, uh, I'll either, it's like, it's always an awkward space when you're done preaching and you get out into like the, you know, the people and you're kind of like, well, who do I hang out with? And I can't remember who, I think it was, I think you were telling me that, um, oh goodness. Um, Spurgeon spent time with kids after he was done preaching. And so the last few months when I've been done preaching, I've made a beeline for kids just to hang out because the, there's no need, you know, the, the need is play with me, you know, or like, you know, let's throw a ball or let's, you know, talk about favorite colors. It's not, I have a question about this. So, and, and again, it's, it's not that I, I don't feel like any pastor would say, I don't want to help people. I don't right. want to be present right. in that, but it's that whole idea of. It's an important distinction. It we is. want to help, but we can't have it leach everything out. One person leach everything right. out of us and deplete us so that we have nothing yeah. be, to be available to to other people. Uh, we had a uh, really, really cool opportunity. A few months ago, there was an, there was an issue that I heard about with a friend of mine who's a pastor and um, he had to make a really difficult call for his ministry uh, p- regarding a particular person. And um, that person was really angry with the pastor for making this call. But what was so great is that this pastor helped spread a net. So this person had five or six other people who were present to him, caring for him, loving oh, that's him. That's good. That's and good. So even though he was ticked at the pastor, he still felt loved and cared for. Yeah. Because it wasn't about the the connection wasn't to that pastor, but it was to the people. Great. Yeah. And you know, we could call them networks or a net. Yeah, I've often used the term constellation of support, Ooh. right? So this, you have a bunch of stars in a constellation. Like I'm one of the stars, not like st- you know, one of the. You're a superstar. Metaphors break down, of course. <laughs> but the idea, yeah. yeah. And and even you and I have done that. I think a few years ago, there was one particular EGR. And there are times you would call me and say, I've had enough. Yes. I can't meet with this person anymore. Can you take this person this week? And I say, yep, I will meet with this person. And there are times where I was like, ah, oh, I meet, and just draining me. My patience is low. I think resentment is growing in me. Can you yeah. spend some time with this person? And that was super helpful because we were our own in the constellation together, Correct. in that net together. Um, but it doesn't and shouldn't just be us, right? Like they need pastors, EGRs, but they also need people like friends. Like it doesn't have to all be spiritual, formal conversation. Sometimes they just need somebody to like push a cart with them in a grocery store, you know, or pick up the phone and check in with them. Well, a lot of people can do that, not just pastors. So, um, yeah. So EGRs, again, pastors are called to love people. We do love people, but we just have to be aware of those that maybe take 
an extra something out of us and to just be aware. And maybe that's the most encouraging thing that we can provide here in this conversation is just have your pulse, you know, don't measure people like, Oh, they're in this category, (laughs) but, but just be aware. Like you said on your phone, like looking at your watch, you know, like, Oh, like to be aware of that and to ask the Lord to enter into that. And Mm -hmm. that yes, he loves all sorts of people, including this EGR. Um, and the truth of the gospel is we're all EGRs, right? Um, Amen. But, uh, but on a logistical, emotional side, uh, sometimes that that applies to to more individ- some individuals more than others. And I love what you said, Jared, because at the end of the day, we're all EGRs. Yeah. And it, for in order for us to love someone really well, we also have to be healthy. Yep. And so I think the best way for us to love people that require a little extra grace is for us to learn to say, I don't have it right now. Our guest this morning is Dave Eckert. On top of being one of the coolest guys that we know, he is a person of peace. Dave has a very unique bivocational calling of working in the mental health field and also the church. By day, he is the director of Intersect, which is an initiative within Access Services that supports those at the intersection of faith and mental illness through collaborations between faith communities and the mental health providers. By night, Dave serves as an associate pastor at Grace Community Church in Chalfont, Pennsylvania. He's an avid reader, one of the most patient people that I've ever met, and has a deep well of wisdom and compassion. It's my privilege to introduce to you our friend, Dave Eckert. Dave, welcome. We're really glad you could join us for this beautiful Monday morning here in the greater Philadelphia area. (laughs) Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Dave, it's really been fun, especially since our boys have played Little League together and uh, we used to be like neighbors two blocks away from each other uh, in this community. But but one of the things that we love is the way in which you straddle two worlds that are really important. You are a pastor, but you also work in the mental health uh, services side of things. And so that's really important. And that's what we want to talk about today, mental health. How do we do that in terms of like cultivating that in our own lives here in these few minutes. And so, um, Dave, talk a little bit about just starting out your background in ministry and mental health. How did you sort of end up in that dual track with your vocation? So basically, in college, I studied both social work and biblical studies and then ended up at an organization called Access Services, where I basically worked in the adult mental health field for my entire career. For roughly that same amount of time, I've been serving as a pastor uh, at a church in the area. So basically, you learn a couple things when you're in those two worlds. One is that the mental health field doesn't do a great job at collaborating with the church, at paying attention to the spiritual dimension of people. And the church doesn't do a great job at always walking with people with mental health struggles. So out of living in those two worlds, we launched this initiative called Intersect, where we're trying to support people at that intersection of faith and mental health, whether that means supporting church leaders and pastors or supporting mental health uh, directors and professionals. So that's sort of the background and what brings me to you know, what we're doing now. Yeah. And you've done some trainings for area pastors to help pastors understand more about the mental health services that are even available, but you've also helped the mental health services side of things in terms of saying, Hey, spirituality is important. Right. Be open to that, which has been so beautiful. Every time I'm with you, I hear something new that I just love the blending that you're doing in that. So um, we know that mental health 
is important as pastors, but we're going to talk more personally here. Why is this so important in the actual life and family of a pastor? Well, I think there's there's both statistical and probably closer to home reasons why this is just an issue we need to consider. Statistically, LifeWay did some research not too long ago where it said, it was a study on the church and mental illness, and it said 23% of pastors struggle with a mental illness, which is roughly the same percentage as the population in general. Mm. And this is something that's not new. I just got done a book called Spurgeon Sorrows. It was about Charles Spurgeon, you know, 19th century pastor. And it's all about him and his depression. And it's amazing to hear Spurgeon saying things about the challenge for himself and for Christians in relating to these issues back in the 1800s. And then just more personally, I mean, access, we get calls from pastors. We get calls from churches where while suicide and mental health aren't always exactly connected, uh, we've gotten calls from churches where a pastor has ended their life in addition to people in the church who've done so. And they're calling, asking access for help. That's right. They'll call our mobile crisis program and say, could you help us know how to sort this out, how to respond? So when you just hear it in the news, you know, there's been pastors across the country we've been hearing about, talked to each of you guys about over the last year where you're just going, something's happening here where for each of these pastors, they're even telling their congregations in some instances about their experience with depression or anxiety or another experience. Um, but ultimately getting to this place where it feels like there's no other options for them. So it just seems critical that we be talking about this. Mm. Why now? Why, why, why the sort of spike or peak? That's a good question. I do think there is there are things being written about an increase in mental health crises. Mm. One of the books um, is called iGen, that, which is a book that's dealing with the I generation, which I think is kids born between 95 and 2012. But it's saying that you're having this increase in mental health crisis, which is often related to an increase in isolation, which is a little surprising. You know, we each have younger kids probably in that iGen uh, the I generation growing up with the iPhone where they're really connected social media wise, but studies are showing they're not as relationally connected. And I do think that relational connectedness is one of the important things for pastors to be doing, which I think both of you guys know, ironically, is one of the most difficult things for a pastor. So I feel like mm-hmm. as I was thinking about our conversation today, each of the things that I thought this is probably good for a pastor to think about. I think, well, it's actually good for everybody to think about, but really hard for a pastor. I've had multiple people in my church tell me, this is just in one church, not that large, say, when I'm depressed, the last thing I want to do is to be around people. But I realize when I go to, when I go to small group, when I go to house church, when I go to whatever, I realize it's the thing I needed most. So doing the thing I least wanted to do and the thing I needed most was essential when people are walking with depression. Mm-hmm. And I think you guys have touched on this in your podcast. Mm-hmm just how difficult it is for pastors to say, so am I going to be in relationship with my congregation? Are these, are any of these people allowed to be my friends? Am I supposed to just be in role? I mean, I think didn't Christianity Today write an article about just the lonely pastor. So um, I think it's hard to come up with an exact why now, but I think those are some of the, that rising um, isolation amongst just a lot of people in our community mm. hits pastors maybe even more than other people. Mm. So as, I mean, 
you definitely hit the nail on the head. I, I feel like many pastors that I've spoken with over the years really seem to 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 struggle in that in that space to say, you know, I'm the pastor of the church, and it's hard for me to feel like I can really share and relate with the people on a personal level. And so, yeah, the pastors seem to be lonely kind of people. And so, what what would you want to say to those pastors who are just feeling lonely? Like, how would you encourage them and to to build relationships? Like, where do you begin? Yeah. I mean, I think it is, it's great when you can have someone in your congregation who you resonate with, who you connect with, and you know, like I, I have someone in my church where I meet with him every other week for lunch. And he's just someone, He's he's been around churches. He was an elder. He knows just how church life goes as a pastor. And I feel like I can be with him and talk to him. And that's really helpful to my own mental health. I think that's great when you can find that. However, I also think that this is where probably networks of leaders can be really helpful. And even for any of us, like how do we connect pastors we know who are struggling with other pastors we know who are struggling? That's good. Because That's good. again, you get into what's hard for everybody, but really hard for pastors. There's already shame and stigma for everybody to bring this up. How much more if you're the pastor and you're supposed to be the helper, <laughs> are you now supposed to say, hey, I need help? And now open up to someone about that. So I've, in my own church, these aren't pastors, but I've had multiple people come to me saying, struggle with anxiety, struggle with depression. And I'm left in a place saying, do you mind if I talk to this other person that I won't name? And I'll ask them if I can talk to you, because it's like, we could connect a lot of people here if you're all okay with being connected. So I think if, if you're a pastor, who do you trust that's maybe in your congregation, maybe on your other board, but maybe another pastor who you just say, hey, if there's anybody else experiencing this, please let them know that mm. the mental health system is figured out the importance of what's called peer support. So you have actually peer support professionals, people who are trained to say, how can I, out of my own lived experience, help another person with a lived experience? They're not professionals. They're just like, hey, I can tell you what's worked for me. So I think it's crucial for pastors to help other pastors connect with like, hey, I, I know multiple pastors struggling. How can I help them connect? I think that's that could be a really helpful thing that in some ways mirrors really valuable things happening in our mental health system that could be happening in the church. Yeah, that's great. How about for some of those pastors who are listening? I mean, we've talked, uh, you know, about suicide. We've talked about depression. You mentioned anxiety. What do we do with those? If for those of us who are struggling, we might say, I don't know if this are just the blues. Yeah. If I'm just down a little bit, it's kind of just a hard season. Or, yeah, I'm worried, but I, I don't know if it's like anxiety, but mm -hmm. I find myself worrying more than I have. At what point is it healthy for a pastor to say, I need to probably seek out some help, even yeah. just for assessment or diagnosis? Yeah. What would you say to that? So I think a few things to consider for that. One is anybody could start just saying, I want to learn, like I'm going to read about this experience. I'm not recommending the book I'm about to say, but it's an example of, there's a book called Monkey Mind, which is about just a guy's memoir of living with anxiety. And you read that, and some people have talked about reading it and being like, okay, <laughs> I'm really dealing with anxiety, that I'm showing up in this person's story. So in some ways, more than just saying, uh, I mean, you could look at the internet and say, what are the, you know, what are the different symptoms of anxiety? And it'll run through the bullet points. But sometimes reading memoirs like that can really be helpful just saying, okay, I, I need to be taking another step. I think if you found those trusted people, and this doesn't have to be even a mental health professional, but someone you trust that you can talk to about your experience, they might be able to just say, hey, there's something here that's not 
right. Like whether you have depression or anxiety, the most dangerous place is just you and your mind by itself mm. going around in, in circles. I mean, thus the, the term monkey mind, which is kind of an ancient term used for that experience. So having someone else be able to speak into that experience, if you're in a place where you go, you know, I think I might need help, but I don't know who I can talk to about this. Because to go back to the whole mobile crisis program I talked to you about, we've had pastors call that number sometimes for themselves, sometimes for family members. And they've actually said, and I've gotten calls from workers, this pastor doesn't want other people to know about this family member having this experience, but they're not sure what services out there could help them that will keep it confidential. So a couple of different thoughts. There's a number you could call if you Google, and I know we'll put it in the show notes, um, the Lighthouse Network. That is a network of mental health professionals where they will let you know of the different faith-based inpatient, outpatient counseling resources, and that's a national support. So that's one place you can go. I, I called there not too long ago about a person I know, and they also pointed me to focus on the family who mm -hmm. also provides just national phone call. And mm -hmm. they say at the start, this is totally confidential. So I think those are some safe places you could go. Now, now we're in the Philly area. I know not all your listeners are Philly based, but um, Diane Langberg and Associates is a counseling center that gives specific attention to pastors and walking with pastors. That's another number you could call if you're not Philly based. My guess is since they do national work, they could let you know about some other counselors that you can just go to and tell your story and, and it'll be a little bit more safe and normalized. Yeah, they're wonderful. In fact, uh, in my DMIN program, what several pastors actually utilize their services and are incredibly yeah. grateful for for what she offers. I'm so glad you brought up Spurgeon too. I mean, Doug and I have talked a lot about Spurgeon. Spurgeon's my homeboy and <laughs> in many ways. I've got a poster of him in my office and Doug's hooked me up with some Spurgeon stuff. And yeah, I think he called them fainting fits. Was yeah. So you didn't have a word depression for him, but fainting fits. And mm -hmm. so I'm so glad you brought that up. And he pushed through, even through all that, still preaching through those bouts. And I, I do think we see him as the prince of preachers and his sermons, but but his adversity and his willingness to speak openly about yeah. that is really admirable. In some ways he was ahead of his time. Yes, yes. And, even and, not even having a word to describe it. So right. fainting fits being how he would describe what that was in right. his own journey. What would you say to people when they say, well, you know, especially pastors, I'm just unspiritual. I don't have enough faith. <laughs> if I yeah. just prayed more, worked harder, was a better pastor, I wouldn't be struggling. I'd be more joyful. Now, how would yeah. you how would you speak to a pastor who might say that? Yeah. There's a few things that could be said about it. One of them is, I think if you just read the Psalms and you read Psalm, one, <laughs> read Psalm 13, Bible. read the Bible, I would say. Psalm 13, you know, mm. how long, O Lord, even pressing it further, Psalm 88, darkness is my closest friend, drop the mic, Psalm ends. Mm. These are prayers and songs of worship. I don't think these are examples of people who are in a who are necessarily in a bad place spiritually, though they are in a dark place emotionally. So I would want to say that's at least a starting point to say that I don't think yeah. there's biblical grounds for those sorts of emotional struggles being something that has to mean there's a sin issue present mm. with that. Right, because I, I, my sense is there's theological framework in different, some of us in different denominations or backgrounds where it's almost like we can't even allow ourselves to recognize that there is a mental illness or, mm -hmm. 
yeah, if I just pray more or if I just ask the Lord or we'll just pray that this will be gone. and Which totally helps, doesn't it? Isn't oh, that so yeah. full of grace? If yeah. I just blank more, right? It's just yeah. heaping all sorts of shame and pressure on ourselves as if it's all up to us too, right? We have a part to play, but I've got to get myself out right. of this problem. Right. It's so easy to do. Yeah, and so even thinking, you know, uh, my sense is how do we even... I feel like having an understanding of 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 the Psalms in that way, and and I I can't remember exactly what you said, but you said it in a way where uh, the person is not. This is not that they're they're in a they're they're spiritually unhealthy. They're just in a dark place, mm-hmm. and I feel like that just seems so foreign to, to mm-hmm. even my own thinking. How how do we begin to develop that? How do we develop safety for that even within our worship? Like that just seems so far from the concept of worship. Yeah. And I don't know, any thoughts I, on... You know, I, I remember there's a book by Michael Card. Um, I'm forgetting it now. Um, might be The Sacred Sorrow. But oh, he's, yeah. he's dealing in that with worship as lament. Mm. And he, he just goes through different biblical examples, David, Jeremiah, Jesus, Paul, and how they were bringing everything mm. to God. And that's always, you know, struck with stuck with me Mm. that worship isn't just the absence of those dark times. Worship is when you decide to bring those dark times to God because you're bringing everything to God. I also think there can be a problem here with like either or thinking where people assume it's got to be either this has nothing to do with the spiritual dimension of my life or it has everything to do and only has everything to do with the spiritual dimension of my life. I remember one time in my church, I was preaching on the issue of scripture memorization and meditation. And I asked a guy in my church to come up and share his story, thinking he was mainly going to talk about that piece. But to bring up his experience with that, what he did is told his of his own experience with depression. And he said, my wife will tell you that every day I need medication and scripture memorization. Mm-hmm. Because he said, medication helps me just get to work, you know, get out of bed, but it doesn't give me hope. But having scripture that I've memorized and can meditate on throughout the day gives me hope, purpose, meaning, direction, things that just the best med is not going mm. to get you. So and both think, and rather than either or. Yes. That's really good. Yeah. I really think it's that's something that just a lot of us struggle with in the church, but I think can be really, I, I don't think as opposed, you know, even in our scriptures, Paul giving advice to Timothy around, uh, I'm, I'm not encouraging um underage drinking on our, on our podcast here, but just, I was saying this to a youth group the other day, (laughs) just trying to say like, Hey, you know, even scripture, Paul's not saying, Oh, you're not feeling well. This is only a prayer issue. This is Mm. only a faith issue. It's it's like a little wine for your stomach. Uh, So I do think there's places where if a hundred percent of Christians have bodies and if we're embodied image bearers and that's what we're called to be, then it makes sense that sometimes there's going to be physical things are important like rest mm. and exercise. And that doesn't mean you also don't need scripture and prayer and to remember that God is more powerful than any of these experiences of depression mm. and anxiety. Uh, and speaking of memorization, I think many of us have heard enough or have probably memorized most parts of the 23rd Psalm. And that one line that we skim over so quickly because it looks so good on a Hallmark card, but you know, <laughs> Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yeah. and that preposition through has always stuck with me. It's not uh, even though you airlift me to the other side of the valley of the shadow of death. No, I'm still going through it. So the guarantee isn't that I won't have these dark moments, but that your presence won't be apart from me. 
while I go through the dark moments. And that's been encouraging to me when I'm feeling down or discouraged or in those darker places of going, man, I, I shouldn't be surprised to have these. But even if God feels distant, he's, he promises to still be there, even if I don't feel him or sense his presence. So that little preposition through has been incredibly encouraging to me in the 23rd Psalm. talked about some of the practices. Go a little bit deeper. Let's get ridiculously practical and specific mm-hmm. here. So you mentioned a little bit about the physical dimension. So thinking, what are some practices pastors could do that would help them uh, just exercise their mental health muscle, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally, whatever direction you want to take it. But if there are pastors listening going, I want to actually really be healthy in all dimensions, mm-hmm. but on the mental side, what can they start to live out in really ridiculously practical ways? Yeah. One of the things you guys have touched on in your podcast has been the importance of Sabbath. And I do think, I mean, Spurgeon talks about in that book of the importance of just retreat. He was told, <laughs> forced to take retreats where he would just go away. So I do think being able to rest is really important. Now, for some people, I might give the advice of you need to do some work and service as well in order for it not to just be totally focused on you. Some people have said, hey, man, the mental health system's focused a lot on employment because getting people work has become a really important piece of their own recovery. So it's again, that's not an either or, but it's it's that appropriate balance of work and rest. Mm-hmm. I've already mentioned medication is one thing. I think being able to to just exercise, you know, that whole thing that the mental health system's focused on right now, integrated health, they, it, that started out as an idea that said, you know, our mental health and our physical health are often related. So they would pick up on the idea that if you're depressed, you're much less likely to want to exercise. And at the same time, if you're not exercising and you're really unhealthy uh, or you're not getting rest over time, that really does some damage to your mental health. So I think part of the conversation we've been having in the mental health system is, yes, and spiritual health is part of integrated health as well. You know, I have known of pastors who've been in some dark places during times of of, uh, doubt where their faith journey has been in a really dark place because they think, who can I talk to about my doubts? Like, I get the fact that I preach, you know, Jude, be merciful to those who doubt, but that's not supposed to extend to the pastor. <laughs> right. So who am I supposed to talk to about my doubts? That's not to say anytime you experience depression or anxiety, it's because of a spiritual problem or sin. It's just to say that because we are whole beings with all of those elements, it can be the case that sometimes pastors who are going through just some s- spiritual struggles might not have people to talk to, and that could be a trigger for some of their their struggles with their mental health. So I think those are a few things to do as well as just meeting with somebody else practically. And um, I think there's something that, I don't know if you want to talk about operationalizing some of this or if you want yeah, to sure. on that. Yes. A resource yeah, that maybe we can also let people know about is what's called a RAP plan, a Wellness and Recovery Action Plan. This comes out of, I think it's called the Copeland Center up in um, New England. And it's just a way of putting into practice in a very individualized way, some of the things we've been talking about. So they would say, you should have a wellness toolbox. Like what are what is anything that just puts you in a good mental space? And 
So what are some examples of that? I mean, some people say things like, I need to just have time with my kids. Mm. I need to run. I need to play guitar or piano. So I things that give you life. Read anything that gives you life. Okay. I mean, in some ways, there could be some traditional things like meet with my psychiatrist to talk about my meds, uh, meet with a therapist who can help give me tools to understand how do I work out my anxiety? Like, how do I think about past experiences? How do I, you know, get more information, what they call psychoeducation? All that's really good too, but it doesn't have to be limited to that mm. for it to be a benefit to your own mental health. So all those things could be put into your wellness toolbox. The next step would be a daily maintenance plan, which says all those things are good. What is it that you need to be doing as a daily part of your, you know, a daily habit and say like, when I wake up in the morning, I, I need to be in scripture. When I wake up, I need to be in prayer. When I wake up, I need some time to go for a walk. I need time to exercise. It, it, it really could be whatever makes sense for you that you say these daily habits are crucial. However, even the best daily rhythm could be something where you could still be triggered. Um, we were talking earlier, just, you know, off air about Andrew Stokeland, who's a California pastor, whose wife recently came out and he, he, he died by suicide uh, last year. And his wife recently came out and you, if you Google it, there's an interview. I think you said you might have seen it, Doug, where she talks about doing all the right things. He was even preaching, publicly talking about his own experiences of depression, anxiety. But the Thursday after he preached, something triggered him. And by Friday, he had ended his life. That's where, what are those triggers? And it could be anything. Maybe it's something someone says. Maybe it's something that's just a stressor. Maybe you've experienced trauma and a, and a reminder of trauma. I mean, how much are we seeing in the Catholic Church, the Southern Baptist Church? You know, I'm sure that there are pastors impacted by that too. How could a trauma be? a trigger to you, name those triggers on that plan so that you know for the final part, which is a crisis plan or a bad days plan to normalize it. When you're in a bad day, when the triggers hit you and you say, I got to do something because I'm going to a dark place. And I know when I'm in that dark place, my thinking is really compromised. Mm. What do I do then? Who do I talk to? You know, in our mobile crisis program, we have, um, they put together crisis plans for everybody who comes through and gets help saying, okay, next time, how do you manage crisis better over time? Today was tough, but next time, what are you going to do when a trigger hits? Who are you going to call? You know, some people say, I just need like to play music. Some people say, I need to call my best friend. Some people say, I need to talk to my pastor. You know, what are those things that you sense when things get bad? Mm. I need to do this. I think those four things are a way to operationalize and individualize yeah, a lot great. of the stuff we've talked about. So it's the is the goal to try to formalize and operationalize it when in my clearer mentally yes. my mentally clearer moments, so that when it's not so clear, I've written down a plan already and say just work the plan. Exactly. Is that the goal? That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 That's really good. And so with that, I mean, are these plans that are shared with other people as well? Like, would you encourage pastors to say like, hey, give this plan to, you know, one person, two persons? I do think that's a good idea. I, a lot of times where I'm trying to walk with people, I find myself quoting back to them things they've said to me. Wow. Like I recently was talking to someone who's in a pretty dark place with his depression and just really not moving towards people. And I had kind of quoted him back to himself. Right? I just remember you saying when you're in this place, mm. it's really important to be around people, even though it's the last thing you want to do. And so the, 
the sheer fact of whether it's reading that plan or having or telling other people, this is what I need. I need you to remind me of what I need. Here's what I need you to do to even take some steps to bring other people in, mm. maybe beyond just you and me. Um, so I think that's a great point, Doug, is just having other people aware who you can trust of this is what it looks like when I'm having a bad day. And here's what I need. Or here's what it looks like for me to, I need to meet with you regularly. I need you to ask me some questions each time we meet because that's you know, just something for my good days to stay in a good place that I could use. Hmm. Well, we've heard as far as practical things, practicing Sabbath exercise, which I would totally affirm. I mean, I'll tell you that I think physical benefit is number four on the list for me. It's like spiritual, mental, <laughs> emotional, then spirit, and then physical when I go work out. Yeah, yeah. So I would totally affirm that. Three, medication and four, community, like making sure we have that in addition to a wrap plan, number five mm -hmm. uh, on that. That's great. Are there other resources? We'll put them in the show notes, but what are some healthy resources that we can have available for pastors and maybe wondering about their own mental health and how they can feel supported? Well, certainly um, in, in the Intersect initiative we have at Access, we would want to be somebody that could be a connector for you. So again, we can have that in the show notes, but if you just check out our website or my contact information is there. Yeah, give um, us the website there. Yeah, it's accessservices.org. And uh, if you just backslash intersect, uh, there's information that we'll have there, just resources for you to think about that's always growing. And also, I would just love to be able to connect you. You know, we're involved in conversations with different people in the country who are involved with um, this area of mental health and the church. And if we're not the best people to help you, we know other people who do. So feel free to, to give us a call. Um, one resource that um, the name of the ministry is is not coming to mind right now, but there's a guy named Matt Stanford who wrote a book called Grace for the Afflicted. And Matt Stanford's uh, serving out of Texas, but he has a ministry also that is trying to help the church around its response to mental health struggles. Certainly depending on where you're coming from, um, CCEF, uh, Christian Counseling Education Foundation also has a lot of different resources there uh, for people and is also a counseling service in addition to the education that they have. So those are, in addition to the Lighthouse Network that I mentioned earlier in Focus, those are some different places where I feel like if you call, if we're not the best resource, we'll connect you to the people that would be. Well, Dave, thank you so much for your time. And I, I just sense that there's a big sigh after a conversation like this because so many times this is not talked about for pastors or we never feel like there's a safe space to actually begin the conversation. And so I really appreciate the time. And uh, we're also really looking forward to other conversations that we're going to have with you. But thanks for being here. Jared, that was such an important conversation for pastors. Yeah. I mean, Dave has shared little bits and pieces of that before, but I think just having very direct conversation together and to share that with other pastors was so crucial. I think what sticks out to me is the idea of integrated faith. Mm. And I love that adjective integrated of, I mean, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And uh, and even how Dave addressed the, the stigma that's often behind that and being able to talk through that. So 
I just so appreciated that. And obviously that he talked about Spurgeon, my homeboy, that I did not pay him <laughs> to do I that. Was kind can, of excited. <laughs> I could sort of see you perk up a bit. <laughs> Ooh, Spurgeon. What's that got to you? Like a dog you? on a bone. Um, <laughs> What's that got to you by what, man, what Dave said? I really appreciated the story about the gentleman in his church that talked about medication and scripture. Yeah. I, I just find that so Medication helpful. and meditation. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. There's something that I sense is just really, my prayer is that it really continues to change and, and pastors who are struggling with mental, with the mental illness stuff would recognize that, yeah, medication doesn't mean that you failed. It doesn't mean that you don't trust God. It doesn't mean that you are a second class citizen. It just means that there's an imbalance that this can help you to be clear in your thinking. And I just found that so encouraging. Yeah. And I, I've seen, you've probably interacted too with folks that say it's all medication, no faith, right? Yeah. On one end of the spectrum or just pray more. And well, that's just a, a, a secular thing and you don't need medication. You just need, it's all spiritual. And I'm so glad Dave talked about the importance you yeah, have finding yeah. both, but it's hard to deal with people on both ends of the spectrum uh, of the spectrum and saying, no, no, no. Both are can be great gifts from God, great uh, great gifts from God, and so yeah, I'm so excited about this. Of the the uh, resources or the practices that he mentioned, Sabbath, exercise, medication, community, and then the wrap plan. Mm. Any one of those you found uh, helpful or um, I, I actually, you practiced? I feel like. I definitely want to write my own rap plan. Yeah. And yeah. I am someone who actually is diagnosed with PTSD. Mm. And so that was a recent diagnosis. And so there are certain triggers that I've experienced and just having that freedom to write a plan. And for me, it's like, I want to give it to my wife. Cause there's times when I'm like, something's wrong, but I'm not really sure how to address this. Mm. And just in those in the clear thinking days, just say, oh, this is what I need. And for me, it's, I just need, man, I just need cuddles. Like, I just need someone to just put their arm around me. It's going to be okay. You're mm. fine. Everything's good. And so I think that's one of the things that I just found really helpful in that moment. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, this conversation was so good that we want Dave to come back. And so we're going to yes. have another conversation with him, but we're going to yes. not be uh, personal, but what are we going to do in yeah. this? Uh, I'm really next... excited to talk about a little bit of a broader scope about talking about the church and mental illness and how do we as a community of faith communities really love people well? What challenges does it bring? How do we stay stand in in the tension where we either run away or we or we just everything goes and what do we do with that so i'm really looking forward to having a conversation with dave here uh on our next episode about that what is what is the response of the church how can we be more uh, i mean if if 23 percent mm. one in four one in five of the people that we come in contact with on a daily basis has lived mental health stuff mm -hmm then we must be better equipped to figuring out ways that we can care for, support, and love those who are struggling in those areas. Yeah, that's great. Well, looking forward to our next episode, but uh, uh, pastors uh, listening out there, we hope you have a wonderful week. Strive towards health and remember that your identity is not found in what you do or how well you do it, but in who you are and more importantly, to whom you belong. Have a great week. Amen.